Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Something lurks in the middle of a war zone environment that sees two eyes burned into a man's memory forever. A simple encounter turns into a brush with death. A woman who seems like she has issues does. And the relatives of the polite bandit are followed by mysterious people. Welcome listeners to some more Let's Not Meet stories. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. This Monday was Australia Day, so that means loads of movies, fireworks, popcorn, candy, and tea over here in Australia. And now I'm back to have more fun with you lot. For true, let's not meet stories to get under your skin, keep you guessing, and thinking, wow, there are people out there like that? Right now, I'm enjoying my gingerbread latte and sinking my teeth into these stories. So turn the lights off. The sound up and get ready for something unique. Critters in the Night Let's start this off with some background on me back then. At the time, I was already a hardened recon trooper. This was my first long-term tour of combat. I had not even a month prior seen one of my best friends killed right in front of me, while two others were permanently maimed in a horrible ambush in the city. It was a nightmare watching my friend die from massive bleeding, and us not being able to do much except give him morphine to keep him from the pain. That was terrible, and I will never forget that, but not even that spooked me to the core as much as this did. After that ambush, we were moved out of the city to a FOB, standing for Forward Operating Base, like a small city walled in with concrete T-wall barriers and HESCO barriers. Think big 4x4 boxes filled with earth and stacked 16 feet tall to create a huge wall, about 1 meter by 1 meter stacked 4 meters high. This particular FOB was interesting in that some of its barriers to prevent easy entry were simply huge mounds of dirt with guard towers planted on top of them to ensure people and vehicles didn't just run in at random. Being a recon force, we were tasked with constantly going outside the wire to do patrols and be the land and airspace quick readiness force if something happened and someone needed fast and skilled firepower. For this duty, we were assigned helicopters and light-armored Humvees, and we lived next to the improvised airfield on the outskirts of the FOB. Our housing consisted of tents covered in an insulating foam to provide a more permanent structure, with air conditioning units to keep us cool as we slept and worked maintaining our gear or whatever else. We lived four guys to a tent, as each of us had a ton of gear we had to keep mission ready for a variety of missions. There were 20 of us in total, separated into two squads slash teams, and we shared this little tent village inside the wall together. In this instance, we had just gotten back from a late night air assault mission. Fly to a place in a helicopter, shoot some bad people, 
grab intel and the important bodies and go home. Everyone had gone to bed after having finished cleaning our gear and eating. In the middle of our tent village was the latrine trailer, a house trailer fitted with showers, sinks, and toilets so we could keep ourselves clean. I woke up around 4am and needed to drop a deuce, so I grabbed my headlamp, flashlight with a headband, so I could see on the FOB, my rifle and one magazine, as mandated by command, and headed out of the tent to the john. As I was walking to the trailer, something just felt off. Maybe it was a slight change in air pressure. It didn't fully register in my mind, as I just had to go. So I quickened my pace to the trailer, went inside and did my business. I pulled my shorts back up, washed my hands and walked outside, staring at the ground to make sure I didn't fall down the stairs on the trailer or stumble on some rocks. As I rounded the corner, I lifted my head and saw a pair of green, glowing eyes set in the darkest fur I had ever seen. Twelve inches from my face. I'm not a tall dude, around 5'7", 170 centimeters, and maybe it was just the adrenaline kicking in, but I swear this thing was looking me eye to eye. I figured I must be seeing things, because I'm so tired. So I turned my head and when I looked back, there was nothing there but a wisp of dust in the air. I stood there for a second, trying to collect myself, and then I looked back at the ground and saw paw prints that were at least four inches wide, approximately ten centimeters. If I hadn't just relieved myself seconds earlier, I probably would have at that point. I was shaking and sweating like I had just been in a firefight. I locked and loaded my rifle and peeked around the corner to make sure it wasn't still there, and made my way over to the radio tent to tell the two guys still awake. Gotta have some comms at all times, right? What just happened and then I carefully made my way back to the tent and went to bed. The next day, one of the first bullet points on the daily briefing was about some huge panther that had escaped a local sheik's compound and was eating local shepherd's sheep at night and how we should be on the lookout and never leave your tent without a battle buddy. As the guys all chuckled, there were signs posted at the chow hall and in the tiny shop on the FOB too. We never did see that thing again, and I don't know whatever happened to it. But I know that whenever I walked outside my tent late at night after that, I was always locked and loaded. The Bike Path Murderer this is one of those close call stories. I had been around 9 or 10 years old when this happened. In October of 2006, a mother of two kids I went to school with had gone missing on one of the bike paths that ran through our town. Initially, the police had suspected it was her husband, but they ended up finding her body a few yards off the bike path, and everything was consistent with three murders that had occurred in the 90s on a bike path in a town 15 minutes from mine. They had arrested a man for those murders without conclusive evidence. Anyways, my story happened about three weeks before this woman went missing. 
I'll include a link in the show notes regarding this. My dad and I were walking on the same bike path that goes through my town, behind our high school, and it was only five minutes from my old house. We always came walking up here with our golden retriever named Aspen. Off of this bike path was a hill, and sometimes we would go down it and walk along the woods towards a meadow. My dad decided he was going to take my dog down so she could run down it a few times, because she liked doing it, and it would give her some cardio. Anyway, my dad went down the hill, and for whatever reason, I decided to stay up. I'm just standing there for a few minutes, just looking around, when a man with a German Shepherd walked up to me. He starts asking me how I'm doing, and if this is my favorite bike path. I answer him, and I was hesitant, because I had always been taught, stranger, danger. But I didn't want to be rude. While he's talking to me, two women walk by us, and he asks if they are my parents. I say no, and he asks me if I would walk with him and his dog for a bit, because he liked talking to me. I started getting really nervous, and I said no, and he kept insisting I came with him. Finally, my ten-year-old head was like, this is enough, and I started screaming bloody murder for my dad, and he runs up with my dog while this guy gives my dad a look as he gets to the top of the hill and starts running away with his dog. I'm crying hysterics while my dad is calming me down and calling 911. One cop who was on duty was near our location came to us and had a few guys on the lookout for this guy. My best description for them, other than the dog, was that he was a bit taller with a beard and darker features. They never found the guy. Fast forward a few weeks, this woman goes missing. They end up finding her, get a bunch of DNA evidence, find this guy that lives in a few towns away, match his DNA with the murders from the 90s. It's the same guy. He killed this woman and those other women. He lived an average life with a wife and kids. No one ever suspected him of doing it. The guy they had arrested in the 90s was released and given tons of compensation. When they released the guy's face on the TV, who was it? None other than the creep who tried to take me with him on the bike path. It made both my dad and I sick when we saw his picture, and we still talk about it to this day. Carol Two years ago, my significant other and I found the perfect place to rent. It was a small tract of fabricated homes. The neighborhood was nice, it was quiet, and for two college seniors, wanting out of noisy dorms was heaven. Now, because this was Arizona, and it was a prefab house, most of the folks that lived in our neighborhood were 60 or older, save a few. To our left, Sandra and David, a awesome couple in their early 60s, both retired postal workers. They spent summers in Maine and winters here. To our right, Carol, a 40-something who supposedly owned her own home business. She looked like she perpetually was sucking a lemon, and she was just off. At first, she would occasionally join my significant other for a smoke on the porch, or if we barbecued with Dave or Sandy, we would invite her over. To say she was awkward was putting it lightly. 
we suspected maybe she was on the spectrum. We would be eating and she would describe how her mother died, a slow, agonizing death, when a tumor in her throat burst. Or there was the time where she described in great detail her latest yeast infection. I kid you not. Sometimes I would work out on our porch. I had a small bench with a bar and some weights. One day I am lifting when I almost dropped the bar on my neck. Leaning over me was Carol. I could have snapped your neck like a twig. She mumbled. I sat up. Pardon? I asked. I said you could have really hurt yourself. She said. I doubted what I had heard, chalking it up to not hearing her correctly, but she had this smirk on her face. However, I had not told my significant other my suspicion that maybe old Carol was a bit fucking insane. I come home from class one evening, and my significant other and Carol are on the porch. I went inside because I was coming down with something and just wanted to go to bed. My significant other comes in and tells me she is going to her job. She worked nights as a dispatcher for the campus police. I am out of it, so she kisses me goodnight, says she will lock up the house and will see me in the morning. Around 1am, I wake up covered in sweat. I go to get a glass of water and drink it down. I see my significant other, or who I assume is my significant other on the couch, I am so out of it that I crawl back into bed and fall asleep. The next morning I wake up and my significant other comes in the door, telling me that work was crazy. Wait, you weren't at work. You were here. She looks at me funny. I get a sick feeling in my gut. Fever or no fever, I know I saw someone on the couch. My significant other writes it off as a fever dream. The house was locked up. I forget about it. Life goes on. Graduation is approaching. Things with my side of the family, well, specifically my egg donor, go badly. Long story. Significant other is offered a job back in her home state of NYC. So we give notice to our landlord. We let Sandy and Dave know, and one night we tell Carol. She blinks at us, then gets up and heads over to her house not saying a word. We just brush it off as weird Carol. That night we are asleep when I hear creaking coming from the living area. I sit up. Now my significant other hears it. She grabs my arm. I grab the metal bat under my bed. Who's there? I ask. Whack! The door thuds. Thank God it's locked. My significant other dials 911. Meanwhile, I am watching as someone is recreating the door scene from The Shining. Except, whoever was doing it was using a small hatchet. They still were making progress on the door as it was pretty much hollow. The six minutes it took for the police to get there felt like a lifetime. I can now see the hatchet's tip in the door. Suddenly, we hear the cops tell someone to put their weapon down. I had no idea who it was until we were led out of our place. On the couch, in cuffs, is Carol. We learned after that she had been in and out of jail. Supposedly, she went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs from long-term use of meth. She was arrested and charged with breaking and entering and destruction of property. 
They tried to get her on attempted assaults, but she made the plea deal that included some kind of psychiatric treatment. I never could prove she was in my place that day I was sick, but I'm sure it was her. As we were moving, I was messing around with our storage space, really a crawl space under the home. We had never used it. Curious, I crawled around, underneath the house, and saw, if you kicked hard enough, you could get the screen that led to the outside off easily. Who knows how many times she might have been in our place, or under the house, listening to us. We still keep in touch with Sandy and Dave. The unit Carol rented was sold. They haven't seen her since she was carted off to jail. Thankfully, we are thousands of miles away and never have to see her again. After my cousin went to jail, my whole family was followed for weeks. So, this happened about seven years ago. I had to be 15 or 16. My cousin had been convicted of robbing a Taco Bell, a Chinese restaurant, and a couple of other food places. He was actually quite infamous after this in the Bethany, Oklahoma area. He was referred to as the polite bandit because he would say please and thank you as he robbed places. I had been visiting my family in Oklahoma when he was arrested, but we had just got there the same night that he was officially arrested. My aunt, who at the time owned a really nice house where my cousin, the polite bandit, was last seen by the police because he had come over to do his laundry, and we were staying at his aunt's house for the time that we were visiting. Nothing unusual happened for the first few nights, but my aunt's house is just creepy because of how big it is. Literally, the whole front of the house is covered in giant-ass windows, and you can see the whole street she lives on from these windows. So it's just really hard to sleep. Anyway, fast forward to about a week, and shit starts to get weird. The first weird thing is when my cousin, the polite bandit's sister, we'll call her B, and we went to a movie late at night. We noticed that when we had left the movie theater, that a car had been following us since the movies. We thought nothing of it and just shrugged it off, merely as a coincidence. But, by the time we had gotten to my aunt's house to drop me off where my family was staying, we noticed the car was still behind us. B freaks out and decides to turn around to make sure that the car doesn't know where my aunt lives and drives to the police station. We get to the police station and the car immediately turns around and goes away. Being the dumbass 16-year-old and 18-year-olds that we were, we decided to follow that shit. So we fly down the road trying to find this car, and guess what? It's heading towards my fucking aunt's house, legit in the exact same rich-ass neighborhood. This is no coincidence. So we pull up to my aunt's house, where he pulls up, and he gets out of the car and charges our car, saying, Why the fuck are you following me? I'll call the cops on you. You're lucky I don't beat this shit out of you. Keep in mind, B is a 110-pound blonde girl, and I am a 6'2 fat teenager at the time. And this is a 6'4 jacked white guy. Next thing you know, my mum sees us outside, and she comes running. I mean flying the fuck out. My mum is terrifying 
for a 120-pound Midwestern lady and gets right in his face. I think she's threatening a lawsuit. The guy backs off and says that it was all a misunderstanding. Anyways, we tell my mum what happened, and this is when shit starts to get really weird. My aunt's house has two front doors. So there's a door, then a little room, then the real front door is in that room. It's an old house, and I think this was used as an intercom room to buzz people in. For the next few nights, we hear knocks coming from the front door, where we would answer and no one would be there, except one night... While I was away at my friend's house, and the aunt and my mum were the only ones in the big-ass house, the doors knocked again. But this time, shit is weird. For one, it's 2am. And second, now there's voices coming from the room in between the front door and the house. My mum and aunt refused to open the door. So I called my uncle, who at the time was away for business a lot. Now, my aunt is constantly sick and just in constant pain, so uncle tells my mum to grab the shotgun from the safe, prop aunt on the stairs that are facing the door with the gun, and says aim for the feet. Now, me and my mum are liberal-ass motherfuckers from California. The only guns we've shot are Nerf guns. So this is all new to her, but she does what he says, and eventually... They hear them all leave and a couple of cars start and they all drive away. Nothing really happened after that. And we talk about how weird that was to this day. But to the strangers that kept tabs on us, I actually kind of hope we meet because I'm still confused. And I've lost a lot of weight. So you'd be proud of me. (laughs) There is something special about let's not meet stories. The mystery, the strangeness, the crazy fact that these sorts of things happen. Have you ever had your own let's not meet encounters? If you have, send them my way at storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. Now a big thank you to today's contributors. Bearded Bacon Man, Mole1995, Winkum Blinknod, and Arisen925 for your stories. The panther whose eyes left a lasting image really resonates with me. Just terrifying. Can't imagine seeing those at night. And how close Marlair 1995 was to being a victim. Thank goodness you're okay, mate. Carol's insanity had me wondering at some point that you'd find the inside of that crawlspace riddled with text about all work and no play. And lastly... Those mysterious stalkers, just eerie to say the least. So glad all of you are safe though, and that's what matters. Thank you so much for sharing, and thank you all for listening. This Friday I'm going to share some horror fiction with you, or some cryptid horror. Either way, I can't wait to bring you lovely connoisseurs of stories and tales the best fiction I can. And if you have story suggestions of your own, research pieces you want to let me know about, or even found some really interesting research or knowledge online that you just want to share, send it my way, say hi, because I love hearing from listeners. And if I use the content in any way, you'll be sure to get a credit. As always, listeners, till next time.